0: Welcome to the Deep Dive, Emerald City Hockey's Seattle Kraken
1: podcast. How's it going, everybody? Welcome back to the Deep Dive, Emerald City Hockey's Seattle Kraken podcast, presented by Queen Anne Beer Hall. Oh my gosh, RJ, Beer Hall. I'm really starting to miss it. I, it was unfortunate that when I was up there a couple weeks ago, I wasn't able to get over there, wasn't able to get a pretzel, right? Wasn't able to watch anything sports-wise. Granted, I mean, it's it's kind of the dog days of sports, right? You got baseball, which the fabulous right. all-star game happened in the week since we've done this in Seattle there. I want to talk about all that, but, um, yeah, it's, uh, I'm missing all the hockey news now, RJ. It's really slowing down.
0: It was fun being up here for All-Star Week, and I didn't go to the, any of the official festivities, but you definitely did get the sense, you know, okay, All-Star stuffs. Actually, I did go to the uh, the drone show out nice. at Seattle Center, so that was pretty cool. Um, so, yeah, that was fun being up here for that, although it um, seems like we're back to being frustrated about the Baroners, at least if that's what my Twitter timeline is any indication. Uh, but, yeah, definitely... Uh, you know you'll have to come back up again that's all that means
1: yep so another shout out to the beer hall thank them um all right so we've got this should be a fun one rj because we're going to go over the that kind of the kraken roster because you and i both seemingly in agreement we think most if not all of the moves are done with the exception of resigning vince dunn but you know that hasn't happened yet either still got a week to go everybody um so we're, we're going to talk about what our potential lineups are going to be for the roster that we think the Kraken are going to have. That's going to be a lot of fun to dig into. Uh, we're going to answer the question that a lot of people seem to have, including in the comments on last week's deep dive, which is, are the Kraken better this year You know, after this offseason than they were last year? Uh, I think that's an interesting question. We'll look at that. But first, we got to start with some news and notes, RJ. And the very first one is a contract was signed with the Kraken's first round pick this year.
0: Yes, yeah, so the Kraken signed Edward Chalet, uh, their first-round pick, uh, to a three-year entry-level contract, uh, as you do you know, after drafting a player. Now, um, something to note here, because he's very likely going to go play with the Barry Colts, of the OHL, so he is an ELC slide candidate. So what is going to happen most likely, if he just plays out the season with the Barry Colts, as we expect him to, is that that three-year entry-level contract will slide over to next year. and so it'll basically be as if it starts next year, assuming he doesn't play in the NHL or AHL under that contract. So not huge news. It doesn't really impact where he's going to play. Don't expect to see him on the Kraken now all of a sudden that he's signed this contract. Just something to know about it. but you know, got that bit of business done.
1: Yeah. And it's still exciting. Right. I mean, you know, he was starting to show flashes there. The second half of that prospect scrimmage, we were seeing what he was all about, what made him a first round pick. We've been very excited about him joining the Kraken organization. So just, you know, happy to see that kind of continue and develop and all that stuff. And yeah, I'm really excited to see him come over and play in Barry, see him play some North American hockey.
0: Now, Question for you on that, Dylan, though, with, with Edward Shelley, If he had scored one more awesome breakaway goal in that prospect scrimmage, do you think Ron Francis would have been running down to have him sign it there on the ice like
1: Shane Wright? I don't know. I think I think this is the problem with prospect camp going like right there with, you know, um, free agency and everything right? Because like Ron was busy on the phone. And as we found out later, he was making, he was making deals, right? He was signing players. So it's, it's a little tough. I feel like if we want those big moments, like we saw with Shane Wright, got to kind of somehow like stretch it out, make it a little bit later or earlier before free agency, I feel like.
0: Or get the deals done sooner, if you remember when when Shane Wright went out and That's signed true. it on the ice, his ELC. That was five minutes after they signed Andre Burakovsky. That's true. They, that news had just broken. I think Ron just went from one thing to the other. Um, but uh, anyway, good for Edward Chalet signing his uh, three-year definitely. entry-level contract. Big accomplishment for him.
1: Yes, definitely. Although, as one person kind of comes into the Kraken family, RJ, we are losing somebody else over on the radio broadcasting side of things.
0: That's right. So uh, Dave Tomlinson has announced that he will be leaving the Kraken radio broadcast, but good news for him. It's to take another great opportunity up in Canada. Um, and, you know, not surprised. I'm sure he, you know, had uh, multiple you know, offers for things that he could do. He did a great job on the radio broadcast with the Kraken and uh, will be sad to see him go. You know, it was nice uh, getting to meet him, getting to know him over the last couple of years. Um, and uh, yeah, just uh, great to have him around. I'm sure, you know, he'll, uh, he'll he'll be a great presence wherever he ends up being. I don't think Uh, the exact role has been announced yet where he's going to, but um, you know, I know he's, he's Canadian, so probably closer to home for him as well, Uh, you know, but good for him on the new role and uh, yeah, interested to see who will be, stepping into his shoes on the Kraken radio broadcast. I don't think that has been announced yet either.
1: No, I haven't seen anything about it. And I'm very intrigued by that. As we know, I mean, look, we know the the Kraken television broadcast through Roots is fantastic, right? Rated number one in the league. Like, we know how great that is. We talk about it a lot. We talk about it a lot on the post-game lives, all that kind of stuff. We've also talked a lot on the post game lives about how incredible the radio broadcast for the Kraken have been with Everett, with Dave, with uh, Mike Ben, and all those guys. It's it is going to be interesting to to see what happens. That being said, I mean the whole the whole setup they have, the whole crew, just everybody around this Kraken organization are all just top-notch great in their field like it's been incredible so um i'm 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 excited to see what they what they've kind of got cooking for this because i i gotta think that it's going to be you know something good
0: exactly as sad as i am to see dave go like i i am excited to see who they replace with because you know it's going to be somebody good uh and, and somebody that i'll be excited to get to know
1: yep and and somebody that everyone will be listening to while watching muted ESPN broadcasts of the Seattle Kraken. Because if we learned anything last it's season, a very important that's role. what it is. Yes, <laughs> that's yeah. what you're there for. Um, all right. And so for the final bit of news uh, from this past week, RJ, um, this the, the Coachella Valley Firebirds, right? Now we know all about their run that they had going all the way to overtime game seven of the Calder Cup finals. Big, fantastic stuff. We've gotten some some more from them, though, RJ. I don't think anybody was originally expecting to have more from the Coachella Valley Firebirds, but we've gotten some more from them uh, in the form of some amazing YouTube content. It's incredible.
0: I mean, you'd think that they'd maybe take a break from winning just for a little bit uh, with that long playoff run. But no, they stay winning even in the offseason with the incredible tennis talks, Mm -hmm. uh, these YouTube videos where Matt Tennyson goes and interviews a, a Firebirds player with Riker Evans, a.k.a. Garth. Uh, sitting back there in the kiddie pool with his floaties on, with his snorkel, and it is just some prime content. I mean, it, it's incredible. If you have not watched those, go and watch those right after you listen to this podcast. I, it is incredible. Um, Dylan, I don't know if you have like a favorite part or a highlight, but uh, mine personally is from when this last episode where Joey Decord was on, and uh, he was, Tennyson asked him, are there any celebrities that you look like? And, and Joey's like, well, you know, don't, don't hate me, but I get this all the time. Orlando Bloom and Riker has the snorkel in his mouth and it just just goes draw just drops. drops snorkel falls right out of his mouth and of course good job on the firebirds whoever's editing this it just zooms right in on on Riker's yeah. face for his reaction to that I mean so many great moments
1: there's a ton of great moments too many for me to pick my favorite the bottom line though is like my favorite part is just that it's happening at all right like this has been the stuff that I've been asking for from sports teams forever is to you know let let these guys have personalities showcase those personalities and make it accessible to the fans and the firebirds are doing just that i love the entire setup of it i think the the two people that they chose for it were absolutely perfect in Tennyson, and then having Riker evans there in the pool with the floaties and the story <laughs> like it's it's perfect <laughs> calling him garth like all of it is perfect the fact that the, it's just available on YouTube, we can all just sit there and watch it and and learn more about our favorite Firebirds. It's 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 everything that sports media from teams should be, in my opinion, right. And I'm just so thankful that it's happening within the Kraken organization. Now, really, the only question is RJ, when does it happen with the Kraken, and and who becomes you know Tennyson and Evans if if the Kraken do do something like that? Who would be your picks?
0: Oh, it's a good question. I mean, it's a shame that if this were to come to pass, that Morgan Geeky will not be able to be involved. I know, uh, unfortunately. I know, like seriously, take some of those forth. Like Geeky Sprong would be another good one to have there. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, all right, I got to think of guys who are still on the. Team, yep, um, you know who are running the interviews. Let's see. I mean, uh, let's. I'm just imagining going around. The I mean, I could.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, you get to see a little bit more of their personalities behind the scenes than really anybody does, right? Uh, so maybe you have some stuff. I was going to say, if you want me to throw out the, the the couple guys I was thinking of, I can.
0: Yeah, give me who you're thinking.
1: So, look, we, we know Yanni Gord's got to be involved in some capacity, right? Yeah, he, mm-hmm. he, he just has to. I think Yanni Gord as the host works really well. And then, you know, you want somebody to make those kind of snorkel-dropping moments in the background good facial expressions, Brandon Tanev, nobody better. Br- Brandon Tanev needs to be the Garth, you know, doing something in the background, right? Just just making faces as, you know, Jamie Alexiak says whatever or whoever's being interviewed does. Brandon Tanev would be the, the best person in the world for that. He, he would be, you know,
0: and if, maybe you could sell him on it. Like, look, you don't have to talk. You just yeah. got to go back there That's the and, whole and react. Stick.
1: He just needs to make big, big eyes whenever someone says something. That's it. That's all you got to do.
0: I I feel like just, just the big eyes alone might get old, yeah. but I'm sure he could come up with other, other ways to react. But no, I, I like that. Um I'm trying to think. I mean, I would like to see Will Borgen as, I mean, heck, maybe even like a host or whatever, but I, I don't know that like when the camera's rolling, he, he'd, he'd be ready to do that but again if, if there were just like no cameras and you just had that show for the sake of having it he would be a great host for it like he's who i would pick um yeah trying to think who else
1: i was gonna say he'd, um, be, he'd be a good one to be interviewed i feel like maddie would be a good interview but i don't know about I think like maddie posting. would be great on it but yeah
0: but yeah i think maddie would be great on it. he'd be a great interview I, honestly i think like low-key he might be a good one for even either the interviewer or the the pool guy but it's just because he's like you know yeah the the star player like it doesn't work but if he wasn't just with the personality i think it'd be great
1: yeah i agree with that i agree with that so you know we'll we'll see if the kraken maybe learn it learn it oh thing chris trieger i just yeah. thought
0: about it. chris trieger should be the host
1: yeah that would be chris an trieger should be the host. host that'd be an excellent no host. question there it is i've Let, yeah I've, I've solved it <laughs> all look all shows should be hosted by goalies right like that's that should just be standard. <laughs> be, be every yeah. producer's nightmare, but it would be fantastic for all of us who get to watch it. <laughs> that's, that's yeah, sure. Feel. <laughs> All right, so um, yeah, not not too much when it comes to the news and notes for this past week. Uh, obviously, it's gonna you know kind of be this way for the next month and a half or so before we get into training camp. Although RJ, I mean, you know, we're recording this today on Sunday for us, but it's gonna be releasing tomorrow for everybody on the seventeenth, which means it will be one week before you know Vince Dunn's arbitration date will. Uh, hearing date, so we'll of course, you know, that's that's that last bit of big cracking off season news. You know, maybe the maybe the deep dive curse will hit RJ and they'll announce an extension tomorrow. Oh, that'd be something, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah, that would definitely be something. Um, all right, so moving on from that, RJ. one of the things that I've seen, whether it was, you know, comments on our our last deep dive from last week, such as this comment from Robert of how much better have the Kraken improved this off season, or I've seen like when Jeff Baker of the Seattle Times was was asking out on Twitter for some Q and a stuff for some mailbag stuff, A lot of people want to ask the question of, yeah, are the are the Kraken better? going into this next season than they were last season. And, um, you know, based on the moves that they've made, we've talked about it. Not a lot of moves have been made, but, I, you know, just to kind of kick things off, I think the Kraken are a little bit better than they were last year. Again, without you know making some massive change of like, oh, you brought in this big star player, right? A lot of their moves have been depth moves. But I do think that what they did was they kind of analyzed and, and did a retrospective on last season, and they identified a, key, a few key things they wanted to improve on or places they thought they could get better. And then they went out and they used the, the limited signings that they had to to you know get better at those things. I
0: would agree with you on that. And you look at the Kraken roster and we'll kind of go over all the positionings and everything later with how the lineup shakes out, but you've got the same 10 forwards, 10 out of the 12 forwards in your starting lineup and you've got five out of the six defensemen from last season. So there's not a whole lot of turnover there, but with some of the needs that they had, you know, number one, it's a face-off taker, right? Someone yep. in the bottom six. You bring in a Pierre edouard Belmar, and that's kind of a targeted ad right there. Uh, and you know, you have room to add someone at the deadline too, if that doesn't work out as well as you hope. Um, and then on defense, you you swap out basically Carson Susie for Brian Dumoulin, and um, you know, it, it's not I wouldn't say like a, a gigantic improvement. You didn't go out and you know sign a, a top defenseman to go fill that role, but you didn't need one. Um, and so, and also with the depth too, because that leaves a couple spots on the fourth line with Geeky Donato, Sprong leaving. And you bring in a Kyler Yamamoto, someone who's probably the best Sprong replacement, you know, one for one, like for like on the market. Uh, and you do it a little bit cheaper too. Um, so I think they're certainly not worse in the way that, that people seem to be maybe suggesting. I know after last off season where the Kraken were clearly improved. If you were to yeah. ask, from last off season are they better than they were the year before there's no question they were I don't think you could have anybody arguing that they weren't better um, but just because you don't have a similar trajectory where again you don't have the same amount of cap space to go get a Bjorkstrand go get a Burakovsky, Um, I still I don't think that necessarily means that they're not improved
1: no and you touched on one thing that's going to be like a big improvement versus the last time we saw the team in game seven against Dallas Berkey's going to be healthy and and be back right like that's an addition just from, you know, injury. Now, of course, you can't predict future injuries for anybody on the team, that kind of stuff. But yeah, you you mentioned the faceoffs, the other big thing, right? Their power play, rough. <laughs> we talked a lot about that. Yeah. I think they probably know they need to improve on that. And that's one where I'm intrigued by by adding in uh, a Yamamoto, right? Like, what can he bring to the power play? Can he bring a little bit of something, right? We know what Sprong brought to the power play at times, right in certain looks on the power play could could he replicate that could he maybe even bring a little bit more uh, if they need somebody to so um, yeah I, I just think that they they went ahead and they went out and they did the business that they needed to do and they got you know incrementally better right this wasn't going to be a massive leap like you just said like last off season was um, but I certainly don't think that they got any worse uh, the way maybe some people, it seemed like, were maybe saying on Twitter, I really don't agree with that. I, I think the team definitely improved. I think they're they're plugging some of the holes that sunk the ship last year in the playoffs. And, um, you know, ultimately, that's all you got to do during the offseason, right? Like, that's that's what it is. Right.
0: Now, but let's get into some of those concerns about maybe reasons that they, they might be worse. And, and you know, I, I think, you know, there, there could be some legitimate concerns there. I mean, for one, Dylan, like Vince Dunn, he's going to regress a bunch, right? We've been talking about it.
1: Put me on this spot, making me have to say that I think he probably will. Uh, it's, I mean, hey, I,
0: I seem to remember a certain done for Nylander trade proposal
1: a few episodes ago. I would still do that deal. I would <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> talk about fixing the power play like, woo! Um, Yeah, look, Vince, Vince Don. do I think there will be some some regression there? The signs all say that there should be. Right. Like most guys at the age of 26 don't, you know, have have a year and, and just kind of launch out like I kind of talked about on that podcast a little a couple, about a month ago now, probably. Um, and we, when we kind of looked at his career, that's that's not normal. Um, that being said, I mean, he's he's getting a lot of ice time. He is getting the opportunities. Uh, you know, is he is he going to regress a ton, like back down to 30 points? No, he's not. But if he if he put up 50 points next year instead of 64, I don't think people should be like totally surprised. And again, it doesn't mean that he's bad or anything. I just think that's probably more. So what's realistic and consistent than, than the year that we saw from him. Um, I, Yeah. But again, like it, that doesn't really have to do with the off season. Right. I, I guess it does in the sense, like we haven't seen what contract they're going to give him. Right. Are they going to pay him? Like they're expecting that. I don't know. I got to think that the fact that the deal hasn't been done still means that the, the two sides are trying to kind of figure that out element out right um so yeah but otherwise i don't know i like i said earlier you, you kind of plugged the the things that you needed to do i mean rj does does missing daniel Sprong, right like kind of the, the the people's champion there does that does that really hurt them or or can yamamoto kind of fill that role
0: I think it could potentially hurt them, and it's not just Daniel Sprong too. You're missing Morgan Geek, you're missing Ryan Donato, basically that whole fourth line that uh, was such a great producing line for you all season. And I think you can point to that as one of the main reasons the Kraken had the success that they did, especially during those times in the regular season where it felt like somebody from that line was scoring a goal just about every night. Like you needed to score a goal to stay in the lineup at that point. Yeah. And with all the three of those guys gone, I think it is a very fair question to ask. If is the depth, has you, have you replaced that depth well enough uh, to the point where it can still be an advantage for you? And I thought it would be a really difficult task for the Kraken to do uh, going into the offseason because they were just built unlike most teams and it's really hard to maintain very good, very cheap depth that way. You know, there's a reason. Look, Daniel Sprong, he ends up getting paid uh, a lot more than he was with Seattle. Same thing with Morgan Geeky and Ryan Donato. You you can't afford to keep all three of those guys on what they end up being paid by these other teams, and so you have to kind of try and find the next Daniel Sprong, the next Morgan Geeky, the next Ryan Donato, as we've talked about, right? That's what you have to do Mm -hmm. as a team that continues to have solid depth. And I I think they did a surprisingly good job at that, actually, bringing in like a Yamamoto on on a fairly cheap deal, uh, someone who. I think has the, as good a chance as any at replacing Daniel Sprong's production in that potential bottom six role, uh, Ty Cartier. I mean, that's, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, not necessarily an off season acquisition, but the fact that you could really add him potentially into that bottom six and he could be a matchup problem for other teams, given that he has a bit of that scoring touch. He has that physicality. He can, he can fit in there. Well, um, you know, Belmar is going to do what he does in in the bottom six and i think you know play maybe that geeky type of role as as you can take face-offs not going to produce a ton offensively um i don't know that he'll do it to geeky's level but overall i think you actually do still have that situation call it a problem if you want where you have too many players for the spots available and i I think that's it's such a good quote-unquote problem to have and i think the kraken somehow managed to have that problem again
1: yeah and I think there's an important distinction to make as well uh, in that, you know, there's there is a regular season roster and then there's the postseason roster, RJ. And I guess I should clarify that a lot of times when I'm talking now, now that we have seen the Kraken win a playoff series, we've seen them take a team to a game seven in the second round, my expectations and what I'm thinking of for the Kraken and whether or not they're better or not all has to do with are they going to be better in the playoffs? right? Because that's, that's what matters now. They've, they've done it to the point where that becomes the new kind of base level expectation. It's not, you know, Hey, can we get to the playoffs? It's all right. Once we're in the playoffs, what are we going to be able to do? What are going to be the problems that we're facing? How can we overcome those things, right? How can we, you know, build off of our strengths to, to bury another team, all of those things. And when, when I look at the roster, I think there are elements like with the changes on the fourth line. And as you pointed out how well this, the last year's fourth line played through the regular season. I think there are elements to maybe making the argument that the regular season style roster maybe did get a little bit worse, right? There is a little bit less scoring there. There's a little less ability to drive offense, you know, against other teams, fourth lines there with the, with the, you know, missing of a Morgan geeky per se. But when I look at a team and what they're going to need to be able to do in the postseason, when it comes time to win a key defensive draw, or when you do need to score on the power play, or you do need someone like a Ty Cartier to be able to go out there and use his big body and hammer somebody and make them tired and you know just kind of be a relentless force you know, coming in and crashing wave after wave. I look at the additions and the players that they brought in, RJ, and I say, these guys... Are guys that are going to do well for them in the playoffs. They're going to make a difference in the postseason, and it's addressing what the Kraken lacked in the postseason, not so much what they had going for them in the regular season. If that makes any sense.
0: No, I think that's a good observation, and and certainly when you look at guys like a Daniel Sprong or or Ryan Donato, who were matchup nightmares in the regular season with their production they weren't matchup nightmares in the playoffs. I mean, combined four points, you know, in 24 combined games for the two of them over the playoffs. I mean, they, they just kind of weren't delivering that scoring punch that uh, you came to expect from them in the regular season. And you look at maybe a guy like a Pierre Edward Belmar or or having Ty Karche in, in a bottom six role um, or, or Yamamoto potentially could, could provide a, a better chance of winning in the playoffs. And I do think the Kraken had that in mind. You know, once you have those expectations set you start thinking about okay now that we know we can get there how do we get through and it's not something i think that they put a whole lot of thought or time into last season because the goal was just to get there
1: yeah
0: (laughs) i think you know and even if you can just get there you've accomplished a lot but i do think the team's mindset has kind of shifted there and i do think they they are a better playoff type of team i think that's a really good observation that you're making there. but because you have so many players um, you know that, that are the same, essentially, that you're counting on production from, are you worried at all about, we talked about maybe a drop off from Vince Dunn, but um, guys like a Jordan Eberle, who's a year older, you know, Jaden Schwartz, who's a year older, um, you know, Andre Burakovsky, who's coming off a fairly major injury. Um, are you worried about any of those guys maybe not being able to produce at the level uh, that they did last season, that any of that might not be sustainable?
1: Not totally right i mean look everybody fluctuates year to year everybody is is capable of coming out and having a fantastic season and and everybody's capable of coming out and kind of having um you know a disappointing season right thinking back to yunastonskoy year 1 with the kraken right i mean it, it was just a season where he was just completely snake bitten uh there was elements to that to to bjork to bjorkstrand last year at least early on in the season i know you've you've got uh, some fun figures to bring up about the second half of the season for him so I, I think every year every team has some guys that are going to have, you know, a fantastic season. Maybe it just so happens to line up with them being in a contract year. Uh, Those two (laughs) things tend to go together. There's a little bit of a correlation there. Um, But every year you are going to have somebody who probably isn't going to reach the expectations stats-wise that you would want for them. Like, that's just kind of how it goes. And to be honest, I don't know that you can always predict it. I'm not too worried about age being too much of a factor with anybody. I don't think anybody's really that... Old or over the hill. Um, I think we already started seeing things with, like, say, Justin Schultz on the blue line kind of being pushed down to the third pairing as the season went on. Borgen going up to the second pairing, getting a little bit more ice time. Like, I think the team kind of knows how to handle those things and, and knows how to work with them. If in the dog days of the season, yeah, things are getting to Everly, or they want to save Everly, so he has some fresher legs for the postseason, well, this is where you have, you know, like a million forward options you can go with. You can do something like that, right? Um, we're going to see lines. I know we're going to be talking about the lines in a second. We're going to see lines get shaken up over the course of the regular season just so everybody stays fresh so that you can take advantage of chemistry. You don't want things to get stale. Like, these are all things that just kind of happen. I, I'm not sure that there's anybody I can particularly point to, though and say oh I'm really kind of worried about about them not being able to do it again right McCann getting to 40 goals 40 goals is a lot of goals in this league right is he going to get to 40 again it's it's you know probably not but he'll probably have like 35 right so it's not like a big problem
0: yeah no I, I would agree with that I think also you, you look at age and because I'm I'm, look, I grew up as a Sharks fan. uh, I'm used to the whole idea that um, if you're not making market improvements on the roster, Given the core, you're going to get worse because oh boy, Thornton's another year older, Marlo's another year older, and you're racing against the clock. I don't think the Kraken have that problem necessarily. You know, the couple guys I mentioned are really the only ones to look at. You know, with maybe Jordan Everly being a year older, but Matty Beniers is also a year older, Mm -hmm. uh, and I think he's going to take another step as he's going to, I think, for the next few years, just every year as star players like that do, just working on parts of their game and getting better. Um, And I think you have a lot more younger players who are going to kind of take that next step and as you mentioned Bjork strand like I was looking into the numbers on this uh, a little bit yesterday and, and kind of looking at what his outlook might be for next season and given how snake bitten he was but he did kind of figure it out at the end of last season if you take his final 41 games so the last 27 of the regular season plus the 14 playoff games the Kraken played um, he's scoring at a 36 goal pace you just double that over you know an 82 game season that's a 36 goal pace like he really really did figure out that finishing element uh, and had it locked down toward the end of the season. So if he's able to just continue that and carry it forward um, and we've, we've seen lots of guys have trouble when you have a change of scenery and you go to maybe the, the second team you've ever been yeah. on and uh, it just takes a little time to adjust and uh, the adjustment clearly was made. So I'd expect more from guys like him too, that might pick up the slack if say, you know, a Jordan Everly falls in production a little bit or a Jaden Schwartz maybe gets hurt or, or falls in production a little bit.
1: Yeah. The other thing I look at, right, like, you know, we, we talk a lot about shooting percentage, right? And whether or not guys are like maybe a little too high and they're and they're you know, kind of living off of that. And then guys that are a little low, um, you know, like I brought up Jared McCann, right? He had the 40 goals. He shot 19 percent. Is that sustainable? No, nobody's really been able to sustain a shooting percentage like that. But on the flip side, just to kind of make my point about how every year you've got guys going in different directions. Yanni Gord shot 9.9 percent last year. That's, uh, that's, you know, he, he was averaging like 15% in Tampa or something like that. So it's, it's, really, he's a
0: career 14 and a half percent. Yeah. Career.
1: Yeah. So he's a lot, he's a lot better than that. He averaged 15.3% in, um, in Tampa. So, you know, he's going to improve just as, you know, Jared is probably going to regress a little, right? Like that's how these things play out. So, um, I, you know, just to set expectations for everybody, you know somebody's probably going to play out of their mind next year. Maybe somebody disappoints. But even if they're just disappointing counting stat-wise, it doesn't mean they're contributing, right? Nobody would say Yanni Gord, oh, he didn't score enough goals last year. What a bum, right? No, look at all the other things Yanni Gord does. Look at all the other things uh, Bjorkstrand was able to do for the team, even when he was struggling to score. Like, there's still a lot of stuff to look at beyond the counting stats. Yeah,
0: so I mean... And and the Kraken have so many players like that, too, that even yeah. Matty, he had those yeah. scoring slumps, significant ones where he had those kind of rookie wall moments yep. last season. And he's still maintaining a really good 200 foot game. So if you have enough of those guys, it makes it easier uh, to to deal with when you have some cold streaks versus some players who if they're not scoring, they're not doing a whole lot else for you either.
1: Yeah, exactly. So. All right. Let's let's move over now to talking about line combinations here, RJ. All right, because I, I want to talk about this. I want to get into this. I want to I want to see what everyone's kind of thinking about this. And um, I'm, I'm throwing up on the YouTube version right now, and we'll, we will go over it for people who, who are just listening to the audio version, but I'm throwing up on the YouTube version, RJ, um, our projected lineups. Now, what we went ahead and both did was we gave the lineups we think we're going to see, and then we're going to talk about the lineups we want to see because there's – Pretty big difference there. Um, so I'm, I'm throwing up the lineups RJ that you and I both think we're going to see and I'm throwing them up at the same time because there's a lot of stuff that's the same here RJ as I look at these two graphics side by (laughs) side. Um, yeah, uh, you know, we, we basically think the top nine is is going to stay the same, really from what we saw at the end of last season. That's, of course, a first line centered by Matty Beneers with Jared McCann and Jordan Eberly on his wings. Uh, you got a second line with Wenberg in the middle with Schwartz and Burakovsky on the wing. And then, of course, that famous Yanni Gord line with Tolvanen and Bjorkstrand. They're, why wouldn't they go back with this, RJ? Like It makes no sense to do anything else, right?
0: Right. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. I, I think these combos of the top nine were working very well toward the end of last season. I, I think we may see Hackstall kind of mess around with the lines a little bit early on in the season because he just likes to do that to see, okay, well, he likes to experiment basically and, and see what works, what doesn't. But I think these are the ultimate top nine that they're going to kind of fall back on, um, you know, when they want things to work at their absolute best. And yeah, the, the, the chemistry with these lines, I mean, Jordan Everly, I think, played about 85% of his minutes with Matty Beniers. You know, those, who are going to be attached uh you know jaron McCann there you know in the top six like it, it all just really makes sense um and and really kind of leaves the fourth line as the only uh factor for okay what's going to happen how the training camp battle is going to go and what look does Dave haxtell want to go with
1: right and there's a lot of options for the fourth line and that's something that I realized while doing this RJ was that like just when I thought oh I've got it set I would remember somebody else you he's just like, what? How? Why? Like, there's, there's so many. <laughs> How's this supposed to work? So this is where we have some deviation, but I will start with one thing we both have the same. We both think Brandon tanov's going to be in the lineup and playing on the fourth line, right? There's no way I see a crack in lineup if Brandon tanov's healthy or Brandon Tanev is not out there. And a lot of that has to do with, yes, the energy and the excitement and he's a fan favorite, all that kind of stuff but it's the penalty kill RJ due to such a good penalty killer. There's no way they're running the lineup where they don't have him available for when they need to go on the PK.
0: He's a beast on the PK and also just his defensive impacts too. I've had the chance to look at some more, you know, advanced stats and look at, look at the analytics picture on Brandon Tanev kind of after everything settled from the season. And uh, it was a lot better than I expected, really. I mean, the underlying numbers are, are very good. Um, and I know that's something the that Kraken are paying attention to as well. He, he's going to be in the lineup. He's going to be creating that energy, even if it is in more of a fourth line role. And also I know Dave Haxtell likes to maybe throw him up into a top six, like with a, pair him with maybe an. Alex Wenberg late in a game if you're defending a lead or something like that too. Um you know Hackstall likes to kind of rotate him through on spots where maybe you're missing somebody or or maybe you add, want to add a little bit more, you know, defensive punch or a little bit more energy there.
1: Yeah, exactly. So now we get to the first first difference and that's who's centering the fourth line. All right. Now I I mean you have you have Belmar there centering the fourth line yep. and I would say that's probably the betting favorite. I went ahead though, and I suck Shane Wright. I think come game one against Vegas, I think there's a good chance Shane Wright's in this lineup. I think that he's, you know, after what we saw from him in Dev Camp, I think they really do want him to come in. I talked about it last week, I believe it was, where I thought the signing of Belmar, yes, it'll add some stability come the postseason time. But I really think a lot of that is also that's a that's someone to challenge Shane Wright, and I I really do think that Shane Wright is in a spot this this off To accept that challenge, coming off what he was able to do with the Firebirds, coming off what he was able to do in junior when he was down there with Windsor. I really think Shane Wright's in a spot where he could go ahead and challenge for that 4C role. And, you know, maybe we don't see him there all year, but I I do think, you know, at least coming out of camp, I, I think he could do it.
0: He's gonna have every shot at it, but I ultimately I think I mean you can call this a cop out, or I, I can call it, you know, just in Ron We Trust, right? Yeah. I think Ron Francis is going to find a way to to find that, as he said, common sense solution where Shane Wright, you know, could be eligible to play in the AHL. I know those conversations still need to happen. We don't know whether Shane will be eligible to play in the AHL or not, whether they can get something worked out uh, with the CHL, I'm going to trust that Ron Francis is going to find a way to do that. And if that's the case, I think it would be the best case scenario and the more likely scenario that Shane Wright – starts the season in the AHL with the Coachella Valley Firebirds and is able to kind of work his way up and, and play in a top six role there and, and maybe earn a call up, uh, you know, should somebody get hurt or, or should he just look impressive enough that he really leaves you with no choice, but to be called up. So that's why I'm going with Pierre-Edouard Belmar here. I think you could agree, even if it's not Shane Wright, I don't know who else it would be besides Belmar. He's the only other guy who could really take faceoffs, play center, uh, and and do that stuff. So um, I'm going to go with Belmar here because I think Francis is going to find some way to make Shane Wright AHL eligible, and I think that's going to be the best spot for him.
1: Yeah, I'm maybe a little less optimistic. I agree with you in the sense that I think that is where Shane should be playing, right? I think he should Mm -hmm. be on the Firebirds, and he should be in a top-six capacity. And I think that's what the the Kraken wants it makes all the sense in the world. I'm just a little less optimistic. We'll say that the CHL is going to allow that precedent to be set. I really don't think they want to do that. They seem pretty against everything. Uh, these last couple of years, they haven't seemed like they really want to use the washed away COVID season as a reason to say that, you know, years were completed. Um, I, I'm not sold on them being able to do that, and that's kind of why I included Shane in mine. But um, that, that one's an easy one, right? Like, we both agree. If, yep. if Shane's there, he's 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 probably in, Um, you know, assuming he looks good in camp. If he's not, it is Belmar. I'm totally with you there. Now, we also have a difference on who we think is going to be playing over on the right side of this fourth line. Tell me why you think it's going to be Ty Cartier.
0: Uh, I think you don't have to listen to me listen to the way Dave Hackstall, yeah. listen to the way Ron Francis talks about Ty Cartier the example that he's being he's being set as for what you can do if you put enough hard work in in this organization uh, we heard it pro- at DevCamp the prospects were saying they were told look at what Ty Cartier did look at what you can do if you put in that kind of work and uh, I've, I've been completely converted here I think he is going to be on the opening night roster I would not have said that A few months ago, I I wouldn't have said even after the right after the playoff run, because I just was skeptical. I figured, you know, he can be sent down. He's he's waivers exempt. He's probably someone who might not make that opening night roster. But I I just think the team thinks so highly of him. And I think they're curious also to see what he can do in a bottom six role. And if you're looking at the complete picture where if Shane Wright is not on the team, because that's what I'm factoring in with Belmar here as the center. I think you might want to go with what looks like maybe a more traditional fourth line, even though this one has a little bit more skill than you're used to with a, a Tanev on there mm-hmm. and with a Ty Karte who can score as well. I think this is the type of, of you know, we talked about a playoff roster and a regular season roster, but I think this is the, t- type of playoff ready fourth line that you can go with. And I think that Dave Haxtell might prefer to go with, we yeah. saw the shift away from Daniel Sprong and toward John Hayden yeah. as things ramped up for the playoffs last year. And I think Haxtell might want to see what he has in this fourth line early on to know where he can go with it. And I know Yamamoto is a, is a very good player. Um, I know he's probably going to do a little bit more production wise than a tie Cartier mm-hmm. but and, and say if somebody in the top six maybe gets hurt or is not available you know for for we for the um opening game of the season you might have uh yamamoto who's more likely to slot into that role because he might fit better there than a ty kartier but even though we know kartier can do both but that's why i think he's going to be there starting on the fourth line um it just works together i think more coherently um where i think maybe you might be able to make the argument that if shane wright is there as you say he'll be yeah. that maybe yamamoto's a better fit
1: yeah, I, I think that that's, that's part of it, and that did influence why I put Yamamoto there on the fourth line instead of Cartier. Look, bottom line is, I was thinking regular season lineup, right? I talked earlier, there's kind of two different rosters. There's your regular season roster, there's your playoff roster. I feel like you kind of built a better playoff roster. I maybe went a little bit more in the regular season direction. Um, I. And, and, you know, maybe I was wrong because opening night, you might want Ty Cartier in the lineup against the Golden Knights. That might actually be a better idea, uh, all <laughs> things considered. But I think for the regular season, look, you went out, you signed, you signed Kyler, right? you You wanted to bring him in. He wants to be here. He wants to play in his home state. Like, there's been so much fanfare. You're giving him 1.5 too. like, yeah, that's cheaper than Daniel Sprong, but that's still like more than you would normally pay a fourth line winger, right, to, to contribute on your mm-hmm. team and someone that we have questions about maybe like what special teams usage they're going to have. So I got to think that they're going to try to work him into the lineup. And if not here, RJ, where does he go? <laughs> There's nowhere else. If everybody's to go. healthy,
0: I don't know. I mean, that's, that's kind of the problem of having too much depth. But the fact that we, we're faced with these kind of conundrums it, to me is just generally a good sign about the state of their depth again.
1: It, it really is. So I think I think that's kind of the good place to leave it there with the with the lineups for the forward groups. Is you know we're 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 both in the same boat. We think the top nine, nothing's going to change there, other than Burakovsky comes back healthy. Uh, and then when it comes to the fourth line, like I said, I think yours is definitely a better playoff fourth line. Um, mine might be a little bit more. You know, optimistic and or pessimistic, depending on how you look at the whole Shane Wright situation and everything. Mm -hmm. Uh, But uh, that's that's kind of where we go when it comes to scratches. Right. The two guys you had on the fourth line are my two forward scratches, Belmar and Cartier. Uh, You have Yamamoto as one of the scratches. But then John Hayden.
0: Yeah, I, I do have John Hayden there. And I think that's a factor of also assuming Shane Wright is in the AHL. Yeah. Uh, but Hayden would be the guy that I, I would uh, call up and have there as an extra. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it, there are a few players that you could have there. Cole Lind most notably yep. and it'll come down to a training camp battle and everything but honestly Hayden is the one that I'd be more afraid to lose I think he, yes. he does more that you can't replace uh, especially when you're thinking about playoff time but I know that's going to be a long ways away from the season opener but you do have to think about waivers and potentially losing him early so that you don't have him late mm-hmm. um, and so I think Hayden is probably the one you want to keep around as an extra um you know for that scenario and so that's why I would go with him and I think also if you don't have Shane right again it just opens up the Extra yeah. spot that's going to be helpful,
1: yeah. No, I totally agree with you. And look, as much as you talked about with Ty Cartier, right? Uh, maybe Ron Francis and Dave Haxtall kind of you know showing their hand a little bit there. Uh, we we already got that from Haxtall last year with Hayden, right? When he was starting to focus on playoff time and he was like gearing up for the playoffs down the stretch in the regular season. He was phasing out Daniel Sprong to bring in John Hayden before Hayden's injury. And Hayden was playing well, right? He wasn't scoring 20 goals the way Daniel Sprong did, but he was playing really well. He was making a difference out there. He was creating space for his line mates in a way that we hadn't seen any other Kraken really able to do. Uh, And so I do think that, yes, there, you know, if that spot is open and they need somebody, I got to think Hayden has the inside track just based on what we already know about how, the coach feels about him that's usually a good indicator rj i'd say so yeah
0: i'd say so and i just don't think they can get away with with waving him again i think it's too big of a risk that some other team's gonna pick him up
1: yeah guys guys around the nhl they like players like john hayden they just do they they love those guys um all right so looking at the the defensive groupings here rj um we're, the, we're exactly the same. There, there's there's nothing different here all the way down to the scratches, so I'll just say them, right? We both think Vince Dunn and Adam Larson are going to stay together. Yeah, of course. Big so surprise, yeah. Yeah, they'll, they'll, they'll be the first defensive pairing. Jamie Alexiak and Will Borgen, what we saw the end of last season, we both think is going to stay together as the second pairing. And then on the third pairing, RJ, Brian Dumoulin and Justin Schultz try to recreate some of that 2016-2017 Penguins magic out there with, you know, 14 minutes a night. They can do it. Basically.
0: Yes. And I, I think we both agree. That's what will happen. Although, uh, you know, there are other potential combinations, you know, I mean, Dunn Larson, I think we're, you know, we're, we agree is going to be the top yeah. pairing, but beyond that, you could kind of switch those guys up. You could have like a Dumoulin Borg and an Alexiak Schultz, you know, we know they went with lexiak Schultz last season. I mean, just real quick. Why do, why do you think, and I'll, you know, I'll explain kind of why I think, you know, that they're going to go with this configuration instead of something else.
1: Uh, because everybody's kind of used to to playing in those spots, right? Like I don't, I don't see a reason why you would do a big shakeup year over year for this. Uh, I do think that there was times where Alexiak and Borgen weren't always on the same page. I especially think that early on, but this is where if you give them a full off season of reps together maybe you know the, some of those issues get hammered out i do think as the playoffs went some of those issues got hammered out so um I, I think that that's that's why i also think you know look at the contracts of everybody that's also sometimes an indicator about maybe where in the in the pecking order everybody's going to go and maybe that has a little something to do with 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 those two guys being above the other two but um that's that's yeah that that actually played a lot in it for me
0: Right. The contracts. Ex- exactly. I mean, the, the writing's kind of on the wall there as far as what everyone's being paid, you know, the, the, the term and everything Too, it just it, to me, it really screams second and third line uh, second and third D pair.
1: Yeah. So we'll we'll get into that, though, a little bit when we look at our mm-hmm. um, our maybe our desired lineup for the Kraken in, in just a second here. Both agree. Jacob Meghna is going to be the 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 scratch defenseman. I, I don't think it's going to be Cale Flurry. Megna is the guy. He's the guy. It's yeah, he's
0: the guy. He's he's more of an NHL veteran. He's got more experience. He's probably going to be sitting in the press box a lot as he was last season. Kind of feel for him there.
1: Yeah, well, you know, just keep him company. Keep him happy, RJ. Uh, goalie-wise, Grubauer, right after the playoff performance he had, he he's the number one. No questions, right? Like, this is a Philip Grubauer-led goaltending team. We do differ, though, on who we think is going to be his teammate with the Kraken, all right? So... You, you've you got Joey Decord. I've got Chris Drieger. I'll be honest. I've got Drieger there again because of the contract, because I, unless they decide to really just kind of wave him and send him down, RJ, I think they want to, to get him in some NHL games, see what he's got so they, they A, know what he still has coming off of the injury at the NHL level, and potentially then maybe you open yourself up to something where if you retain a little bit of salary, you can trade him and then bring up Joey.
0: Yeah. And well, the it, interesting, the reason I go with Joey is because of the contract, we can get to that a little bit too. I think it's going to be a really close battle over training camp though. And I, I, I do think yes. we really don't know at this point. And yeah. a lot of it is going to depend on how they play because well, they're both going to get preseason games. I think that'll play a big factor in, you know, yeah. who's looking better at that point. It's going to be an open goalie competition. And, um, I think there's a chance, you know, it could, it could go either way. I mean, even going with the court, I'd handicap it like 55, 45 or, or 60, 40, something like that in their favor but I do go with Joey Decord and, and a lot of that is based on the contract because I think if Decord gets the first crack at the backup job it increases your likelihood of be able to keep all three because if you send Chris Drieger down to the AHL you know nobody's going to pick him up I mean we, we have proof of concept with that uh last season sending him down I don't think a whole lot has changed I mean feel free to disagree with me there but I, I don't think teams have seen enough to right. want to pick up that that last year of, of Drieger's contract um and so I think you can kind of keep all three there. And then, heck, if if, if somebody gets hurt, you know, if, if something Grubauer or Decord goes down, you need another goalie. You have usually that emergency exemption that where you can essentially carry three goalies for a little bit if you need to versus sending Joey Decord down. I, I still don't think that he'd be likely to be claimed just because of the contract and the term. But I think he'd be more likely given that the ticket isn't as much, you know, at 1.2 million and that. Honestly, he's looked better more recently. And I think teams, you know, especially with goaltending, that uh, is very important because goaltending can fluctuate wildly, right? And the guy yes. who's looked better more recently, I think is going to have the the higher standing. And so that's why I would give the edge to Joey Decord. And, and also, you know, that's a reason I think he might just play better in the preseason.
1: Yeah, I, I, I look, I totally agree with you. I think Joey is far more likely to be claimed off of waivers uh, than, than Chris Drieger. I, yeah, maybe I'm just thinking too early on regular season, right? You know, if Drieger's able to come in, look good for three or four games, something like that, you can do something with him and then, you know, make, make way for Joey. And that way, Joey is also getting, you know, starts in Coachella Valley. Right. And so he's getting more regular playing time than if he was just up, uh, with the Kraken. And then if there's an issue, you know, who knows? Um, so yeah, I, look, I, I, what you say all makes sense. I think there's a ton of logic to it. I just think if you can maybe do the thing with Drieger, it, Mm -hmm. I don't know, maybe I'm just thinking about everybody's feelings too much.
0: Right. Well, that's the, I thought about the, uh, the possibility of auditioning Drieger. And, and so I, I, did take that into account, but I figure, you know, if you're looking at this from kind of a, you know, a colder, just team perspective, right. And the best case you can hope for, I think is showcase to get to the point where a team will give you either nothing or a late round pick for chris Drieger. basically yeah. you know you kind of shed the contract clear space up for joey but i don't know how that helps you really a whole lot this season um you know it's it's good for the player but honestly i think you look at the kraken's history with chris Drieger, and i don't know that they care a whole lot about that really um you know you, you had him as the start projected starter kind of coming off the expansion draft you go and take a detour and sign philip grubauer and, and do that to him there yeah. i just you know i don't know that they care a whole lot about that or that they necessarily are that committed to him as as part of the future for the team or even being an integral part of the team this season
1: yeah no i i totally f- feel where you're coming from uh I, you know i i totally do i just i don't know i think there's something to the seniority of it and the the contract situation um but we'll see and and like you said right we don't know this is going to come down to training camp there's no way for us to know what's yeah. going to happen there yet all right, so moving on here uh, towards the end of the podcast, let's talk about what we want to see, RJ. Right? Because that's all what we think is going to happen, and and you know we're we're using our our all of our insider knowledge, RJ, that you know, <laughs> we all that insider knowledge we have to come up with those lineups. Now it's just our time to have some fun. All right. Looking at these rosters, RJ, as I throw them back up. All right, we're in agreement on the top six of the forward group, right? Sticking with the Matty, McCann, Everly, and Wenberg, Schwartz, Burakovsky lines. There we go. We're, we're in agreement. We're in alignment. RJ, sell me on why the Gord, Bjorkstrand, Tolvenin line should stay together. Or should I say, sell me on why that line's not going to get stale at some point?
0: Well, they didn't get stale over. I, I don't remember how many games exactly they played together last season, but it was a lot. And they never really did get stale. The only reasons, though, that line was broken up was because you desperately needed help elsewhere. I mean, when you had Bjorkstrand moving off that line, it was because Burkovsky was out and you just needed somebody to go and fix that line with Alex Wenberg and, and whoever his winger was at that time. Mm-hmm. Um hackstall seemed really resistant to breaking up that line. And I just, I continue to see why you look in the playoffs. I mean, that line was a matchup nightmare at times for Nathan yeah. McKinnon's line. Like if they were going to get stale, I would think it would have happened already. Now that line might be broken up at some point during the regular season. It's a long regular season. Yep. Uh, Hackstall's going to want to experiment and, and it's good to do that, to know what yep. you have. But I think overall, this is a line that you want to keep together long-term a- a- until they force you not to, um, and those guys just have so much chemistry. You're looking at Yanni Gord, as long as he's playing center, you just got to give him wingers that play a, as he likes to say, predictable game, kind of yep. a north south game, do their thing. Um, Oliver Bjorkstrand, you know, can be that, and Ellie Tolvin, and is definitely that. Um, right.
1: I, I, my, I guess, two word response to you would just be, why not? Because you again were thinking of the playoffs, RJ, and this is the regular season. You want them to have that magic come the postseason, right? And do you really think that – have we ever seen lines, RJ, play a whole year together, then play a playoffs together, then play a whole another year together and not get broken up at some point? Like, they have to. That's That's the way this goes. Like, we've never seen somebody just stay together forever like that.
0: I mean, you'll see you'll see good lines that are together for years at a time. I'm thinking I mean, I'm not comparing this line skill wise to be you know, with like, uh, you know, guys like Bergeron and Marsha and, you know, those guys playing. I mean, usually they're at the top of the lineup where you have guys kind of playing together yeah. and you load things up. But, um, you know, you see it. I mean, look, over the course of an 82 game regular season, do I think this line's going to be together all 82 games? No, I don't, because um, that's just generally not how it works. But I think this is the line you're going to want to fall back on most of the time.
1: Yeah, I think it's the line that you, you do whenever the team needs a spark. But look, I, I don't know. I just think there's elements of it of the Kraken, if the top six isn't going to be able to produce the level of offense that the Kraken are going to need all the time, you need, I think, maybe sometimes a little bit more um, from the third line. And maybe some of that just comes with Bjorkstrand turning it back on and then Tolvanen gets going again. But I felt like that line was turning too defensive. And I feel like, again, that's great for the for the postseason. I don't know that it helped in the regular season as much where, as we talked about earlier, the fourth line became your like depth scoring line and all of that kind of thing, right? And I feel like if you, if you can take Yanni Gord out of the mindset of being a center and I'm shutting somebody down and I'm doing all that stuff, look, you have that option whenever you're playing a big team and you do need him to shut somebody down, right? Maybe game one against Vegas, you do that so he can go out there and try to shut down Mark Stone or Jack Eichel. Right, You you always have that option. You can switch to it game to game. But I think if you stick him on the wing, I think we'll see him get a little bit more busy net front. I think you're going to see his scoring production go up a little. And then again, when we're, we're talking about wants and desires for the Kraken lineup here, RJ... I want Shane Wright on this team, and I want him to be put in a situation where he's going to learn throughout a regular season, and he's going to learn lessons, he's going to grow, he's going to develop. Is it going to be rough at first? Of course it is. It always is for young players, especially guys who are playing in the center role. But I think while you've got Yanni Gord around, while you've got somebody like that who can mentor him, while you have a Wenberg to, to kind of be on that second line and you don't need to force Wright too far up the lineup, I think it makes more sense at least early on in the regular season to go ahead and, and stick a Shane Wright onto that third line, bump Yanni Gord over there so he can still help him with face-offs, he can still help him with a lot of things out there on the ice. You got Bjorkstrand as a proven offensive threat going around and somebody who is predictable that's going to help out Shane Wright too. And I just think that that's that's a better setup for the kind of long-term approach for the Kraken. And then, you know, playoff time gets closer and you you go back to Gord Bjorkstrand-Tolvenen and you get that magic back and you go into the postseason. I don't think the magic would be lost by breaking them up early on. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not worried about that.
0: Right. I think long-term it could stay together. And if you're committed to Shane Wright playing a, a substantial NHL role this season, then i could see the merits of a line like this because you're putting him in a position to succeed and that's one thing that i you know maybe worry about with a um, you know with a line that, that Shane writes on you know on, on the fourth line with a Brandon Tanev and maybe a Karchi or or Yamamoto that maybe there's there's not enough there to kind of help him out and and, and build that confidence and score some i think it's a, a good position to succeed that you're putting him in i don't think it makes you a better team I I think Mm -hmm. you you maybe sacrifice a little bit in the regular season there. And look, we both know that regular season seeding doesn't matter a whole lot. Mm -hmm. Um, But I don't think that Dave Haxtell necessarily thinks that way. And I don't think that they're taking a playoff berth for granted this season, I, I think other teams maybe are in a position to do that. I don't know what the Kraken are. And it's something that Ron Francis talked about at the end of the season that like, you, you can't take it for granted. You can't guarantee mm-hmm. anything. He said, this league's too good, you know, to to think that you're automatically going to be in the, the top eight in the conference every year. Um, and I think honestly, that's, That's not the case for some teams. I think some teams really can take that playoff berth for granted. I don't know that the Kraken can at this point yet. And so I think, you know, you're you're probably making yourself a little bit worse today to make yourself a little bit better with Shane Wright tomorrow.
1: Yes. And to to what you're saying towards the beginning of that, RJ, this is not what we think will or you know happen this is what we want to have happen right stop (laughs) applying logic to like the the what we want (laughs) to have happen right that was the whole point of this right otherwise what your roster would look exactly the same as the ones we just looked at um yeah that's true and
0: of course i have my cop out that i want shane right to be in the ahl to start so right
1: which we both do but i i'm working under the different assumptions so Okay, that, that fair enough. Fair right? Enough. <laughs> yeah. So we've already established this. Why, why bring it up? Uh, no, it's. It, I I just think that it is one of those. Will it make your roster worse for the first twenty games of a season? Absolutely, it will. I'm I'm not gonna argue that point at all. Um, after that, though, I think Shane Wright would figure it out, and I think he'd start producing. And the the bottom line is, I think this third line has a higher offensive output than the old third line. I just do. And I think that it is going to be better long-term and it does allow you next year when Wenberg's contracts up and he leaves, Shane Wright is ready to fill that void on the second line on an elc and it opens up what you're able to do in free agency next year when there's a ton of options there or maybe even it you know you can replace on the second line with say a sebastian aho something like that but the bottom line is i think it gives you far more flexibility long term i i understand what you're saying about the kraken needing to be able to secure a playoff spot i think they're going to be able to like this team is just better than most in the conference it is Right? It's is it as elite as the guys at the top? I'll still say no, but it's better than a lot of teams in this conference. And again, if after fifteen or twenty games it's really not working, you just go back. Like that's that's the beauty of having a ridiculously long eighty-two game season is that you can make adjustments as you as you need to. Um, what? Well, go, go ahead. F- what? You're gonna give me well, the? No, whole... there's something
0: I. W- no, there's something I wanted to ask you about with these, and I think it's a fair question. You have Ellie Tolvanen as a scratch in this yeah, scenario. Was, now yeah. is now uh, my question for you though, is that just an unfortunate necessity of, okay, well you've got to move Gord to wing. Somebody has to move off of there. I understand the numbers game, but you don't have him on the fourth line either. Right. So is is there something beyond that that you see where you're questioning something in Tolvanen's game or, or, or why is that? Explain that
1: decision. I think realistically that's going to be like a rotation. He would be in a rotation with, with Kyler. Like, I think that's, that's ultimately what it would be for, for there on the fourth line. And then you could just slide Tanev over to the right side and, and stick Tolvanen on the left or whatever it is you want to do. I was strictly thinking about, like, okay, with this fourth line, you've got Belmar there centering it. He can win the faceoffs, do what you need to do. And then I was just thinking of who are your best special teamers. And I, and I did decide that Yamamoto might be better, at least initially, special teams-wise than Tolvanen. Tolvenin was a revelation to the power play for about a month. And then never again. And and <laughs> because all he did was have the one-timer. And you know what? It works for Ovechkin. It used to work for Stamkos. It doesn't even work for Stamkos anymore. You need more than just a one-timer on the power play. You just do. And I think Yamamoto's a little bit more dynamic. And so for the power play reasons alone, that's why I have Yamamoto there.
0: Fair enough. I, I I don't think you need more than a, just a one-timer on the power play. If the, I'm I'm going to go ahead and blame coaching here in the systems well, for yes, it. Well, so, yes, but you there know, wasn't it works a change there. Because you have the threat of Oshi and Carlson and all those guys. They can do something else besides feed the one-timer. You know, It works. It worked for Stamkos because they had Kucherov on the other side with another one-timer that you could do. Do they know, not I, still I think have more varied, Kucherov?
1: How, huh? Do they not still have Kucherov there on the other side?
0: Yeah, they, they do. But I mean, like, again, it works as a threat because there's other things that you can do potentially on that power play. But they were just feeding Tolvenin. Teams knew there was only one thing they were going to do. It was just going to feed.
1: But that's my whole point, right? If they know that because that's all Tolvenin is doing out there on the power play, then I would rather somebody. There's four other
0: guys out out there, Dylan who weren't good
1: either yes oh look i agree with you right we've both been on this for a long long time the power play needs to be completely overhauled it has to come from probably a coaching change at this point because it's been bad for two years right we totally agree with that they didn't make a change right it's still going to be the same going into this next year i want the player who might just get fed up and say you know what this isn't working i'm going to be able to go out there and dance my way into the slot and make something happen right? Even if it's not necessarily what the coach wants. And I think that's Yamamoto because Tolvanen had three fourths of a season to do that last year and he never did, right? Even Vince Dunn stopped feeding him for the one-timer. They weren't even looking at him for the one-timer, so they just don't care about it. So you need to do something. This is the only shakeup I can do. I can't replace, you know, Paul McFarland as power play coach, right? For my roster, my dream roster. This is literally all I had, RJ.
0: Okay. I I'm, I'm choosing to believe in Paul McFarlane just a little bit that he can vary the looks just, just enough to open up that Tolvin and one timer just something, anything else. Um, but yeah, saying, that's, but that's neither here nor there.
1: I'm just saying the Tampa power play, you know, fell off last year because teams just sold out for both one-timers and then nobody else could do anything. And that team, you know, still had more talent at times than this one. I just think one-timers, it just, you can't ever rely on it. Um, All right. So that's the, there we go. Is that enough of a, (laughs) of the big thing for the, for the fourth line here? I think so. I think so. Um, all right. And then, you know, I got, we both got Cartier kind of out of our desired lineup, which is maybe interesting, but the bottom line is, I think Cartier is the perfect fill in anywhere on this lineup for any winger that gets hurt. He can play a skill game with some of the skilled guys. He can play the physical game and be defensively responsible I like Ty Cartier as the the kind of next man up the moment the Kraken need it rather than kind of being shoehorned in just to kind of get him in the lineup.
0: Yeah, I think we have similar philosophies on this, exactly. And and I want him playing a role that makes sense for him as well. And I think that's one of the best things about his playoff call-up is that you had him playing a role that the team really envisioned him in, even though it's one that surprised a lot of people uh, when they put him there. Uh, And honestly, looking back at this, I would change it just to have somebody else up and I'd have Karche back in Coachella Valley, so at least he's getting games. I don't know that it benefits him a whole lot sitting in the press box for an extended period of time. But same thing, he's the first guy you call up. You know, Maybe you have a a Cole sitting in the press box instead
1: yeah um all right so here we go rj uh let's just skip ahead to goaltenders we both got philip grubauer both got joey decor as the backup easy great we love it right we well, of course yep. we want joey of course we want joey um all right defense so we have all the same pairings as before you have all the same pairings in order right dunn larson alexiak borgen dumalin schultz What I went ahead and did is I swapped Dumoulin-Schultz and made that the second pairing, and I have Alexiak-Borgen on the third pairing. And I'm assuming you want me to tell you why, RJ. I would like that. I would very much like that. It's because there was a lot of times where Alexiak-Borgen was bad. (laughs) That's why. (laughs) <laughs> there were, uh, what an unpredictable answer, Dylan. <laughs> I know. Uh, look, I talked about it earlier when talking about them, and, and to their credit, especially come playoff time, they made a lot of improvement together in how that they played, and they were starting to figure things out. There is so much. I've, I've talked many times in the past about all of the things that defensemen have to process, why it's such a difficult uh, if not the most difficult job in in hockey, all the things all the information they're having to take in and make decisions with and 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 do on the fly, how they have to keep track of where everybody is. like uh, it's a it's a lot of mental workout. And then compounded on top of that is you have one other person there to help you out with all of that stuff. And because everything's happening fast and because of the nature of it all, you can't just verbally communicate to that person easily. You can't make sure you're on the same page as things are happening and have conversations, right? This isn't like you're in a situation room somewhere dealing with, you know, The launch of something or whatever it is right you you just have to go based on kind of unspoken reading the other person knowing how they want to play and that takes time to develop and i think that that's what we were we you know saw slowly work in over time with alexiak borgen i still don't know that it was enough
0: I, I, I think they'll have a, get an off season together I think it'll continue to improve and honestly I I, I don't think this is a huge distinction necessarily given how Hackstall treats yeah, his no. D pairs too like I think we need to point that out like yeah. look it's done Larson number one they're going to get a ton of minutes Way more and stuff. then it's going to be you know the next two D pairs separated by like a minute or two yeah. depending how each are doing and he's going to flip those around too because if you need more of an offensive push you know maybe you'll you'll bump Schultz up and, and kind of double shift him with an Alexiak and yeah. do or something. you know Hackstall's gonna do a lot of that stuff. Um, but I I'd still rather give the big minute bigger minutes to Alexiak and Borgen, you know, I'm a big believer in Borgen's upside. I still think he has another step that he can take. I know you're still impatiently waiting for it to happen. Like, come on, come on. You know, you see the progression. I've got you to see the progression, but Mm -hmm. you're not, you know, you, you wish it would come faster. I know. Um, but I think it still will be there. I still think he has that extra step to take, especially offensively engaging. I know he can do it. I've seen him pinch really effectively. We've seen him take shots. We've seen him you know, help generate some of that offense. Um, I think he can do it more consistently. And I think if you give him that role, he will do it more consistently. Uh, Dumoul and I also worry about just a little bit, given the numbers didn't look so great for him. You know, he was playing big minutes with that Penguins team, but defensively, you know, he was a bit of a liability at times. And yep. I, I think he can absolutely steady things, you know, in, in a lesser role. And I think even if you put him on the second pair, it's a lesser role yeah, than what he was is. playing in Pittsburgh. And that can help him. But I would really try and ease him in, especially as a guy who is coming from really the first team that he ever kind of played for, playing there 10 years we know that a change of scenery can benefit guys like that but we know that it also might take a little while we saw that with bjork strand last season it's a different situation of course forward versus d but i think it might be really best to ease him in there um and then schultz i i just don't know what we're going to get from him i mean he was fantastic at the start of the season Took that hit, um, you know, from I believe it was Ryan Lomberg middle of the season wasn't the same after that, but then was one of their best players in the playoffs. So I don't know what we're going to see if he's the Schultz from early last season. Go ahead, make him a second pairing defenseman, give him those minutes. But I still just need to see, okay, what Justin Schultz are we getting?
1: Yeah. And look, a lot of this does stem from the fact that I want Justin Schultz on the second pairing. I want more Justin Schultz. I think that, you know, when healthy, he's going to be able to do those things. And look, this is your last year with him under contract, right? You know, use him. <laughs> like that's that's, that's why yeah, right. he's there. And so and I and I just think that, you know, they work better as a pairing. And and I think Doomlin is used to having more minutes. I think he can consume more minutes. And I think him being with a Justin Schultz he a lot of his issues last year was he was he looked a lot like Vince Dunn first year with the Kraken where it's like horrible pinch after horrible pinch after horrible him trying to be an offensive defenseman that he's just not and i think if you if you have him with Justin Schultz he knows he doesn't need to do those things right he can just become the Adam Larson of the pairing so to speak and i think him having you know a little less ice time a little less you know I don't want, just because I can't think of a better word at the moment, importance, right? Like a little less weight on his shoulders. I think he'll be able to do it. And yeah, I I think it'll end up working, but I did want to keep the Alexiak-Borgen pair together so that they can continue to develop the chemistry. They can continue to develop that unspoken bond that defensive pairs need. Uh, I didn't want to just break that up and say, well, just Schultz-Alexiak on the second pairing again, because then if you do need to do something, you might be starting all over again with Alexiak-Borgen. So that was my mindset for this. I, I, it's mostly just because I wanted more Justin Schultz, and I, and I want him to have more playing time, and I just didn't want to break up the pairings
0: yeah, and I wouldn't want to break up the pairings either. You look at last season too, where where Dumoulin's most common line mate was uh, a defense sorry uh, partner was uh, Chris Letang. and they actually did pretty well, you know, over fifty percent expected goal share. Um but his second most common partner was Jan Ruta. And uh, you know, forty percent expected goal share in two hundred eighty-eight minutes. Um, so, and you see the difference between being paired with somebody who is kind of more of a puck mover, who can provide more of that offensively, versus a Jan Ruta, where maybe Dumoulin has relied a little bit more to move the puck to do some of those things offensively, and it didn't really work out well for him. Which is, you know, why we're both in agreement that uh, Justin Schultz should probably be his D partner. Yeah. Um. And you know, we just have this this little you know squabble about the ice time. About but a, I, you know, I see where yeah. you're coming from.
1: Yeah. Yeah. We're we're squabbling. <laughs> about like well at most a minute and a half a night
0: <laughs> yeah where they're probably gonna be you know the pairs are gonna be mixed and matched anyway yes
1: yes yeah. so, and you know who knows what's gonna end up happening right like is you know you know we
0: might get a done schultz because they're trailing and need a goal you know exactly. we're gonna get a lot of that stuff
1: yeah yeah exactly so we'll, we'll see how it goes but the that those are those are our our wanted fantasy lineups for not fantasy but like you know dream lineups for the kraken these would be, look, let's be real, right, RJ? These would be terrible fantasy lineups if you only had players on one team.
0: Yeah, I, I think you've that you to a little night. bit more. <laughs> yeah, especially if you're playing in, you know, in like one of our fantasy hockey leagues that we, you know, that we do where yeah. uh, Kraken probably go a little bit early. It might be hard to get all these players together on a team.
1: Yeah, well, uh, you're just hamstringing yourself with only, you know, have scoring points on nights the Kraken are playing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that's also so, probably not wise it's probably not great for fantasy but you know as always everybody let us have it in the comments section over on youtube come at us on twitter I, and really when i say us it's probably going to be me for scratching tolvenin uh is, i know right is, but we had some go
0: good to debate come. too i'm interested to hear what everyone thinks about this too yeah. i think you know we had a little bit more debate a little bit more confrontation than the average episode here um so let us know which one of us is right and you know and why is it me
1: Yeah. Okay. I was going to say interesting way, way to phrase it, RJ. (laughs) Tell tell us which one's right. Um, we don't know. That's the beauty of this. Uh, all right. So that's, that's going to be it for this week's episode of the deep dive. I mean, next week, deep dive RJ. I'm just thinking about this in the moment. Should we push it a day just so we'll have definitive like end result for the done situation? Probably.
0: If it gets that far, yeah, I mean, of course, if Dunn is signed tomorrow, like the the ECA, you know, the deep dive curse would suggest that would happen, you know, then we don't need to push it, but maybe we should.
1: Uh, The great thing about the deep dive curse, RJ, is it's usually after I have finished editing the episode, which I'm going to do right now on Sunday. So it might be one of those instances of the deep dive curse happening a day before everybody's listening right now you need to be saying yesterday rj if vince done if if vince done signed yesterday maybe we don't need to do that (laughs) (laughs) yeah
0: exactly that'll all make sense to everyone
1: listening yeah let us know in the comment section if you just followed my time logic all right everybody thanks for joining us thanks to queen Anne beer hall for everything and thanks to jen for all the photos that i I was able to throw into last week's podcast uh didn't have the opportunity to do it last week in the podcast but want to thank Jen, our wonderful photographer for, for all the awesome photos from this past season I was able to use as we talked about everybody coming in. So uh, one, one shout out there and uh, we'll see y'all next time. Hey everyone, before we go, we just wanted to give a quick shout out to all of our awesome patrons over at patreon.com slash Emerald City Hockey, especially our Terror of the Deep patrons. Absurdly Sane, Alex, Andrew, Anonymous, Ben, Brad, Burnt Krem, Kaelin, Chris, Cody, Connor, Coop, Daryl, Denise, DJ Singletone, Duthin, Eli, Elizabeth, Evan, Habak, Gaby, Gary, Gregory, Jay, Jane, Jeremy, Jessica, Joni, Joseph, Josh, Joshua, Katie, Keegan, Kepler, Kitty B. Kraken,
0: Leanne, Light, Lonnie, Mark, Maya, Michael, Michelle, Noah, Nori, Nunya, Paige, Paul, Rayanne, Rebecca, Ryan, Sarah, Scott, C.A. Kraken, Sean B., Sean O., Sergey, Shannon, Shoeshine, Skeletal Tendency, Steve, Steven, Striatic, Hasty Cobold. Team YMIAT, Tank Commander Ty, Wendy, Strike, and Zane. Thank you so much for making all this possible. We really appreciate your support.